We're in the fifth week of this series where we're going uh, verse by verse, line by line, through the book of James. Um, and so you've probably heard by now that James is a letter in the back of the New Testament that was written by a guy named James. And uh, this James was Jesus' brother, uh, little brother. And uh, like Alice said once, he's like the little brother that wants to punch you in the gut every now and then, right? He wants to, he wants to shake you up a bit, and he wants to challenge some things that you thought you believed. This James, uh, we think we know, was not a believer that his older brother was the Messiah. Kind of no surprise, right? Sure, you're the Messiah. All older brothers think they're the Messiah, right? Uh, this James was not a believer that his older brother was the Messiah until late, maybe probably after his brother raised from the dead. Now that's kind of a convincing thing too. If your brother's dead and then he comes back and says, guess what, I'm still here, right? James became a firm believer that his brother was the Messiah, that he was the Christ after that. And in fact, historians, secular historians tell us that this guy, James, ran the church that was uh, in Jerusalem, the Christian church that was in Jerusalem. He was the time kind of runner of that church. And he was, uh, he was still a very Jewish man, but he believed that his brother was the Christ. And in fact, was martyred for that belief late in his life. That because he so firmly believed that his older brother was the Christ, that he was martyred for that. So this is a letter that he writes, and we're in uh, chapter 3 of it, and so I'm going to start with chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that those who teach will be judged more strictly. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> right. Okay. So I want to tell some jokes right now, like the one about how the teaching team left this little gem of a verse for the guy who wasn't at the meeting because none of them wanted to stand up and read, none of you should be teachers. Uh, but what I really want to do is tell you something serious. I want to tell you seriously that the teaching team at Orchard Hill takes this responsibility with a lot of weight and gravity. That your teaching team that you guys come and trust understands that you come and trust them. And that this teaching team, especially the staff team, especially the ones who are here, just really take this responsibility with heavy weight and with a lot of seriousness. And they, they spend a lot of time talking and a lot of time in meetings and a lot of time studying, mostly studying and trying to understand what it is that's going to help you get closer to becoming like Jesus. They really want, that's the bottom line, that's really what they want is for you to become closer to like Jesus. They don't want to aggrandize themselves. They don't, want to, they don't want to show off. They want you to change. I just want you to know, they take this verse very seriously. And I want to ask you a question. What makes you think you're not a teacher? What makes you think you're excluded from this verse? Do you have kids? Do you have parents that don't know as much as you know about how the world works? Be serious. Do you have friends? Do you have coworkers? When you decide that you're going to instruct somebody or enlighten them or correct them or post something on Facebook that shows how smart you are and how dumb they are, are you not teaching? And do you take that responsibility with the weight that you should? I hope you do. So we're going to move past that. I'm going to pretend like I'm able to teach you something the rest of this day. Uh, 
And I want you to, now, the next verse is kind of the verse that launches into this section. The verse that sort of defines what we're going to talk about. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect and able to keep their whole body in check. So when I got to this verse uh, a, a month or more ago, as I, was, as I knew this is what I was going to be talking about, I read this verse in the same way that I've always read this verse. I've, I, obviously, I've, I've known this verse. I've read this verse many times. And I read this verse, and I heard the same thing that I had always heard, which is, James is saying, control your tongue, and the rest of your body will be in line. Control your tongue, make it right, and the rest of you will be in line. And I just, didn't, I just never have bought that argument. I've never thought like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But, but, but I felt like that's what was there because that's just what I always thought was there. So I come, I read this, I'm like, that's what's there and that's what I'm gonna have to teach and I don't know how I'm gonna teach it. And I even talked to Alice once a month ago and said, ah, oh, man, I don't know where I'm gonna go with that because it just seems like that's not what Jesus would have said. And then one day I'm on my bicycle and I'm like pondering this verse that I know I'm gonna have to teach. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. I'm like, wait a second. Why do I think he's saying that? Why do I think he's saying grab a hold of your tongue, control it, and you'll control the rest of your life? It isn't there. That's not the words that are there. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. And it slowly is dawning on me, like that's not what he's saying at all. What he's, saying, what he's saying is way more in line with what his older brother Jesus said. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. He's, he's like saying, once, you, once your insides get so perfect that you never have a problem with your tongue, you've made it. You've crossed the line. You're perfect. Once you are in control of your tongue, once you are a new person that's so new that you are never at fault in what you say, that you never have to worry that the next thing out of your mouth you're going to regret and you're going to want to suck it back in, that you never let loose with that wild thing that, that you shouldn't have said, that you never accuse somebody. Once you're there, you've made it. Congratulations, you've passed the finish line. What he's saying is the tongue is hard to control. The tongue is hard to control. It takes a person who's really different on the inside. It takes a person who is really right on the inside to control your tongue. Until you've managed that, until you've become right, you're never going to be in control. You're never. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Able to keep their whole body in check. Your whole, your whole life should be good by the time you got your tongue under control. So this is hard. This is hard stuff. This makes a lot of sense. Jesus would totally agree with that, with that statement. We progress from the inside out, not from the outside in. So now James moves on to three different pictures about how powerful the tongue is. Three different metaphors, pictures about what the tongue is like. And these, like I said at the little beginning, James was a Jew. James was a Jewy Jew. He was he was Jewish, and he, loved, and he loved the Jewish teachings, and he followed the Jewish teachings. And as a, as a ru ruler, that's probably not what he would call himself, as a runner of the Christian church in Jerusalem, it was a very Jewish 
Christian church in terms of it followed a lot of the Jewish practices with this exception that they said Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. But, but what he's about to say here is very Jewish. Like as we look into the Jewish scriptures, as we look into Greek and uh, poetry that was happening at the time, these are pictures that his audience would have been like, yeah, we know that, we've heard that. Okay, so when you read these things, read them as if this is exactly what you would say. Another little side note I want to say, James was being culturally relevant. James was saying, hey, there's a Greek philosopher poet who said this thing. That's a true thing. And we can expand on that, and we can believe that. First thing he says, James 3, 3, 4. When we put bits into the mouths of horses, we make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal. Or take ships for an example. Although they are so large, they're driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. So he's saying the tongue has control. The tongue can control things. You can move something with your tongue. You can change the course of a, a path of a life with your tongue. And that could be good or bad. Sometimes a ship is steered in a good place and it comes to a harbor. Sometimes it's steered into a storm. But the point is, the tongue can control things. It can change life. Like I said, a few hundred years before that, here's a Greek, what a Greek philosopher said. The conqueror, I love this, by the way, the conqueror of pleasure is not the man who never uses it. He's the man who uses pleasure as a rider guides a horse or a steersman guides a ship and so directs it wherever he wishes. See the same pictures? It's a horse. It's a ship. You've heard of that. And what he's saying and what this is saying, it's in control. There's control that can be used with your tongue. Next thing he says is the tongue can destroy things. It's so powerful, it can destroy things. So he says this, likewise, uh, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a wild fire, world, a world of evil among many parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one life on fire, and it itself is set on fire by the fire of hell. Okay. James is saying the tongue can do things like just, poof, light a fire on something. It can destroy a community. It can, can destroy a family. It can, can, it can destroy a church. There's a saying um, in, in this time that a sword is powerful, but a tongue is more powerful than a sword because a sword can only kill in close quarters. A tongue is like a flaming arrow, and you can launch it into a city and burn the whole town down from afar. Isn't that great? A tongue is like a flaming arrow. You can just launch it. You can say something and poof. Just light a fire in a community. Light a fire in a family. Light a fire in a church. And you can burn things down with your tongue. The tongue is a powerful thing. The third picture he uses, James 3, 7. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. <laughs> he, is, he is using some strong language. And this, by the way, is one that I should have realized made my first verse not right. Like he says right there, you can't do it. You can't do it. All kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed, but you can't do it. You can't tame the tongue. 
The tongue is out of control. So, and so what he said, the tongue is powerful. The tongue can change the course of a life. The tongue can burn down a community, and it can't be controlled. Okay, okay, James. What are we supposed to do with that? Where are we supposed to go with that? It's so powerful, and it can't be controlled. That's where we get to the next verse. And this is where the, this is the money. This is where James really goes. And if you're just reading it on your own for the first time, this next one just seems like the fourth picture. And there was a teaching style that was used at the time that was a, a string of pearls. And you just set these pearls out and one after another. This pearl just on first reading might seem like the same. But this is the one. This is the one where things change. The, with the tongue, we praise the Lord. And with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters. This should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Ha, this is, this is different, and this is where he just like fully comes in line with Jesus' teaching. You, you, it, sh, it cannot be, it should not be that a fresh water spring produces salt water or that a salt water spring produces fresh water. Do you get olives from a, from a thorn bush? No. No. This bead is different. You cannot have this situation where your interior is one thing and your exterior is something totally different over a long period of time. It's not going to work. And this is where we run into one of the mega themes of the Bible, one of these themes that is everywhere uh, and, and is pervasive all through the Bible. His brother Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You are what's, what's coming out of you. He also says, by your fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Same thing. What's on the inside is what's going to come out. The Bible also uses this in the upside down picture, the kind of negative example, where the, where the Bible, where, where they start saying, you can't be good on the outside and bad on the inside. Jesus, you know this, Jesus said, you are like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're full of bones and, and dead, and everything unclean. <clears throat> or Jesus said, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside is greed and self-indulgence. This is a, just a mega theme of the Bible. You go back to the prophets in the Old Testament, Micah 6, 8, what does it say? You could, you could sacrifice hundreds of bulls. You could use rivers of olive oil. Do I care? What I want is for you to live humbly, for you to love and be just, right? This is, he's saying, the outside, the outside-in approach doesn't work. This whole thing is a, an inside-out approach. So, why is it so hard to control your tongue? Why is it so hard? Because, for a lot of us, the tongue is sitting on top of a salty well, your tongue is sitting on top of a salty well. If there's salt inside, there's salt coming out. We, we, our mouth is tempted to say mean things because on the inside, we're insecure. We feel small. 
Our, our mouth is tempted to say bragging things because on the inside, we don't feel like we're good enough and we want somebody to acknowledge us. We want somebody to pat us on the back. Our mouth is tempted to say angry things because on the inside, we're afraid. Anger, a lot of times, is coming from fear. So we've reached the point in my teaching that we always reach, which is, I'm saying, the thing is, you've got to actually change who you are. Right? If you've ever heard me teach, I bet you've heard me say that. The thing is, you've got to change who you are. And that's hard. And that's hard. And that's where, that's where practice comes in. That's where having something to do comes in. And so I, I want to talk about something that you can do, something that you can think about. Uh, and, and, and again, I'm th just thinking, like all the times I've stood up here and given you something, it's not because I'm, I, uh, I, I'm shifty. <laughs> it's because this is hard. There's a lot of practices that you could do that will help you with this. So in Alice's teaching on this series, she was talking about how judgmental we are, right? Do you remember? How judgmental we are with each other. And I want to talk a little bit more about how judgmental we are with each other because I want to talk a little bit about the mechanics of that judgment. And the reason, again, remember, the reason I want to talk to you about the mechanics of that judgment is because I absolutely think that that kind of judgment that's happening is why it's so hard to tame our tongue. Because all, if all of our interactions are interactions of judgment, if all of our interactions are interactions that are competitive, where I'm trying to see if I'm better than you or not, then what I say is, is, is going to be nearly impossible for me to always be on your side, always be positive, always be in control of my tongue. I'm going to let, I'm going to say these nice things while I dig a little thing, right? I'm going to hide a word or two inside. And so the reason I'm talking about this, again, is because James starts by saying, hey, if you've got control of your tongue, you've got it. Why is it hard to control your tongue? It's because you, you are living on a salty well. So here's my, here's my thing for you to do. First of all, I'm going to tell you three things about how your mind works, about how you think, and then I'm going to tell you how to try to get away from that. So three things about how your mind works. Number one you live with a map of yourself. You live with a model of yourself. You go to the next slide, I have a model of myself and I'm super glad that you can't read any of those. So what I did was, I'm, I'm thinking about this, here's, the, here's what I mean by a model of yourself. I just sat down and started using this tool that I used to make outlines and, and said, who am I? Who is Kurt? The dark spot in the middle, I never thought of the metaphor, that little black hole in the middle, that's Kurt, okay? That says me, okay? And then going from there is just different dimensions of my life, who I am. That big blue one on the kind of bottom is, is my uh, recreational life. I decided to spend more time there than others because it was easy and not so uh, personally, uh, you know, right? Introspective. So... So there's faith life, there's like my family history is in there as part of those things. But this is what you carry around with you all the time. This is what you think of as yourself as you're moving through space. I am Kurt. 
I am a white male. I grew up in North America, more specifically in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, which gives me sort of the Midwest Iowa nice, maybe, that could be on there. I'm tall. Um, uh, people think that I'm intellectual. I don't think that I'm intellectual. There's one up there. There's like a whole little series up there about what that all means. Um, uh, I ride bicycles. I'll, I'll go back down to the safe spot. I ride bicycles. Um, I like to do anything outside. You know, I, I have snowshoes. Then, then within bicycles, sometimes, depending on the situation you're in, so like when I go ride bicycles with other people, all of a sudden that part of my map becomes more and more and more important, right? Because now I'm with other people who ride bicycles. So suddenly, that part of the bicycle, who I am, gets bigger. And I have all these sub-nodes in there. I ride a BMC GF01. Who's impressed by that? Me? I am. But I'm going to tell you, and you know this from whatever you're into, when you ride up on your bicycle next to somebody who else also has a bicycle, what are they doing? Instantly. What's the brand? What's the derailleur made of? Or, you know, which, which model of derailleur is it? Is it a SRAM? I hope so, because those are the coolest. Is it, if it's a SRAM, which level of SRAM is it? That's all in my little map, right? What's your handlebars made out of? What, what, do you have a, a power meter on your crank? I hope you do, because you're not cool if you don't, right? This is, and it's instant. And we all do this in whatever way it is for you. I don't know what your thing is. Is, you know, is it, is it, what, what kind of pans do you have? I, I heard a discussion yesterday about this. What kind of La Crusade pans do you have? And what color is it? And da-da-da, right? You know this. You have this. You have this map. So point number one, you're just like dragging around with you all the time, all of your life, a map of who you are. And some of these things are awesome. Some of these things are great. And some of these things are hard and deep and things that you believe about yourself. Here's a deep, hard one. I believe about myself. The, that I'm not scholarly enough, that I just wing it. I, I have this deep fear inside of me that I'm not scholarly enough, that I, don't have the, that I don't have the credentials that I need to have, that you guys shouldn't, that I should go back to that first line in this whole thing that says, not many of you should think you're teachers, and I should just right now walk off the stage because I'm not worth it to you, that you should be hearing from N.T. Wright, or that you should be hearing from, you know, whatever, who, whoever the scholarly people are. That's just the deep, deep thing inside of me that I have to fight all the time. Yesterday morning, this, okay, I got to quit, but I'll tell you this. Yesterday morning, I call Alice Shirey. Alice Shirey, I shouldn't teach tomorrow, and if I do, I should just really erase my whole teaching and start over. Could you please hand me a teaching, <laughs> right? No, Kurt, teach what you have. Plus, it's only 24 hours away. <laughs> okay, so, okay, so you drag this map around with you. That's what you do. Number two, you think you're on an episode of Survivor. This is, that's funny, but it's also true scientifically. You think you're on an episode of Survivor. In other words, you think that every interaction you have, one of you wins and one of you loses. Or at the very least, you think that if you're in a room of people, one of us has got to go. <laughs> For real. So all, I don't have to be faster than you. I have to be faster than, or I don't have to be faster than the tiger. I have to be faster than you. You know that, right? I don't have to be better than all of you. I only have to be better than you because we're going to vote you off later. <laughs> right? And your whole life is this. Your whole life is this. 
I'm on an episode of Survivor. Somebody's going to vote me off the island. Or the, what was that show with that German-looking lady? Like, uh, you are the weakest link. Goodbye, right? You live in fear always of someone saying that to you. Kurt, you're the weakest link on the teaching team. Goodbye. Okay. You do. You do. This is scientifically true that you think you're in an episode of Survivor. Number three. You use... Binary judgments, or what's called dualistic thinking, you use binary judgments to, to evaluate those first two. So you go in with your map, and you say, I'm on a game of Survivor, and I need to be better than people in this room. And so I start using binary judgments to say whether I'm better or not than you. Okay? Is my SRAM red derailleur better than yours? Yep. <laughs> I win that one. Is my stem better than yours? Nope. Okay? That's a funny one, but it, it, it exists on all other planes. Am I smarter than him? Nope. Dang. I lost that one. So now I have to do something to make myself better than you. Am I funnier than you? Yeah. Right? Binary judgments to, to win the game of Survivor based on a map that you're carrying around. So here's what you can do. This is what you can do tomorrow. You can say to yourself, not a single one of those three is true. Not a single one of those things is true. First, the map that you carry around isn't you. It just isn't. Which one of those things on my map is going to be here in 500 years? Well, that takes a lot of them off. And in fact, almost all of them that I'd use to judge myself by. That's not me. That map isn't me. I think it's me. It isn't me. The Bible tells us all kinds of things about who I am. There's this complicated words, and since I'm not a scholar, I don't know them, but now there's these complicated words called the indicatives and imperatives of Paul. Sounds fancy, doesn't it? The indicatives and the imperatives of Paul. Paul is constantly telling you who you are. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, since then you have been raised with Christ. That's an indicative. You have been raised with Christ. It's in the past tense. You are, it's done. You have been raised with Christ. Since you have been raised with Christ, go do this. We start all of our arguments in the other way around. You're a bad person and you should be better. Paul uses the exact opposite logic always. You're an amazing person. You're a perfect person. Since then, you've been raised with Christ's person. Do this. Since you're amazing, be amazing. That's Paul's argument almost all the time. You are not that map. You're a child of God. You, are, you have been raised with Christ. Therefore, I have in my notes, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, that's how Paul starts a to tell you that you should do something different. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, that's you, that's the map. That's the map you should be carrying. So step one, carry a different map. Tell yourself, try, it's, it's, not, it's, it's super hard. Try to tell yourself, that map that I'm carrying around isn't me. Number two, you're not on a game of Survivor. <laughs> you're just not. You're just not. There's not like... There's not like some magic number of 144,000 people who are going to get into heaven and the rest of them are off. 
That's not how it works. Never was that how it worked. The Bible is so clear. I want you. I want you. I want you. Right? That's what the whole Bible is. Please be with me. Please come here. Please come to be with me. I made you. I created you. I love you. Please come to me. That's not survivor. There's nothing like survivor. You are, you are holy and dearly loved, and you are invited to be in. You are. Right? You're not on a game of survivor. So when you're interacting with somebody, don't try to make them lose and you win. Make both of you win. Okay? And, and number three, this dualistic, binary way of seeing the world isn't right either. Look, in a small way, just think of it this way. I'm tall, you're short. Well, no, there's someone taller than me and shorter than you. And you're not, it's not, the world isn't binary like that. The world isn't dualistic like that. Our minds are so good at making everything dualistic, but it's not how things are. That is not how things are. So, just as an example, I walked into a meeting this last week. It was going to be a really hard meeting. And I had to walk into that meeting and tell myself, this isn't about you. This meeting that you're walking into isn't about you. This meeting isn't to try to validate whether or not you're a good person. This meeting isn't about making your map win over somebody else's map. And I needed to tell myself, go in and, 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 and invite everyone to win. Go in and, tr and try to be with everyone instead of always trying to be my, myself. Okay, so I hope you can do this. Walk through the world realizing your map that you thought is, is, isn't your map. You're not on Survivor. And, you, and, uh, and, and binary, dualistic ways of thinking aren't the only ways that you can think. And hopefully, <laughs> that will help you start to get control of your tongue. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, Man, that was a lot of words. But in the end, we all carry around this picture of ourselves. And we all carry around this fear that we're going to lose. And from that salt comes words and comes actions. Help us to see it from your side. Help us to see it from your eyes. Help us to see... That's not who I am. Holy and dearly loved. And help us to see that you love all, that you, that you want all, that you, that you invite all. Help us to, help us to soften and change our hearts. And from, from that center core that we can change on the outside as well. Thank you. Amen. I need to correct one thing. I said, you're not a salty well. You're a fresh well. You've gotten some salt in you, but you can get it back out. That's more in keeping with Pauline theology. You are a fresh well. Now be fresh. Speak well. Have a great week. Amen.